See, there's no, there's no area of your life that Jesus does not want to touch. There's no area of your life that Jesus does not want to transform. From your, from your spiritual life, which most of us, that's kind of where we start, where we realize we're a spiritual mess, that's that emptiness inside that we feel, we've got no purpose. Jesus wants to change and transform your spiritual life. Right to your emotions, to your mental health. He wants to train, change and transform your mind and how you think and how you make decisions and what your priorities are and what your motives are. And he wants to change and transform your relationships and bring you to a place where you have healthy relationships with healthy boundaries. And they're not these, these, these abusive, codependent relationships where we manipulate and control one another. He wants to touch your finances. See, here I was. I was 20 years old. I was about seven weeks from my 21st birthday. And my financial life was a mess. Paycheck to paycheck if I was lucky. I was drowning in debt, credit card maxed, multiple vehicle loans, as I stand here almost 25 years later, I can say Jesus has changed my life. Every single area. There is not one place in my life that does not have the fingerprint of Jesus on it. And he's changed me for the better. Like I gave up some stuff. But what I gave up, if, if, if we had this giant cosmic scale and we stacked up on one side everything I gave up versus everything that I've gained, they, there's no equivalent. It wasn't even equal. Everything I've gained far outweighs anything that I gave up. Jesus changed my life. Today I'm going to talk about finances. And the title of my message is Principled. And as I followed Jesus and as I invited Jesus into my life and into every area of my life, and sometimes it was multiple invitations, I invite you into my, my spirit, save me, forgive me. I invite you into my relationships, lead me, guide me. I invite you into my finances, teach me, show me. I had no idea what I was doing. But 25 years later, I can say that Jesus has changed my life. And Jesus fixed my finances and he put me in a healthy place. See, as your pastor, I want to see you, every one of you, in a place of health in your finances. I don't want to see anybody strapped for cash, struggling to pay bills, unable to, to make it month to month where you're like, man, like there's more month than there is money, right? Like, it, it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be the other way around where there's more money than month. But for so many people, we, we run out of money and then there's still like month to go. And we don't know, we don't know how, how we're going to make it. I've, I've been in that place where I've been unable to pay my bills, unable to make my financial commitments. And it sucks. It's hard. Over the years, I've talked with people and, I've ex the, and, and people who have expressed to me, you know, they, they, they'll say, Pastor, I'd really like to give. I really want to be generous. It's inside of me, but I, I, I literally have nothing. 
I've got nothing to give. You know, where, where people are like, you know, you know the, the story in the Bible with the, the widow and the little, the, like the, the two copper coins? I wish I had two copper coins to give. Listen, I am in no way a financial coach. <laughs> I'm far from a financial coach. Actually, a lot of what I learned from finances came from Jesus through my wife. That's the honest truth. But what I have learned from inviting Jesus into my finances, from reading, reading the Bible and seeing the principles of finances in the Bible, I want to pass on to you. Because what Jesus has done for me, Jesus can do for you. Right? There's a verse in Revelation. It's Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10 that says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And what that means is when I stand up here and I say, look at what Jesus has done for me, that prophesies over your situation saying Jesus can do the same thing. And it doesn't matter what it is. If we, you hear a healing testimony of someone that received a healing and you're like, that prophesies over me so I, I know that he can heal me too. And so what, what Jesus has done for me, he can do for you. So I want to give you three financial principles from Scripture. And like, if, if you are good at finances, I'm just going to apologize up front. This is about as simple as it's going to get. These are simple biblical uh, principles that help change my finances. Number one, earn more than you spend. I told you this was going to be simple, right? This is Captain Obvious. You need to earn more than you spend. Now, the, this starts in, in this one place. It all starts right here. Understanding that your financial stability isn't found in your job. It's found in Jesus. See, no matter who signs your paycheck, you always work for the same person. Jesus. As a follower, as a believer in Jesus, when you give your life to him, that's now who you work for. So your job performance isn't because your boss is watching. Your job performance is because I work for Jesus. See, when we understand that Jesus is our source, it releases us from so much stress over our finances and our jobs. Because you realize that my job is not my source. Jesus is my source. Because if my job ends and that's my source, now I'm in trouble. But if my job ends and Jesus is my source, he never ends and everything's going to be okay. So there's a story in Genesis chapter 22 of Abraham and his son Isaac. I'm not going to read it. I just want to give like an, an overview. God tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your one and only son. And Abraham is old. There's no, this is it. He's not having any more kids. Then this is his promised son. And so Abraham goes on this just trip, this journey with his son and some of his servants, and then leaves his servants at the base of a mountain, and him and his son climb up the mountain. And his son's carrying the sticks, and Abraham's carrying the knife and the fire. And his son actually on the trip says, hey, we've got the wood and we've got the knife and the fire, but I don't see the sacrifice. And I'm pretty sure Abraham nervously said, it's going to be okay, son. It's going to be okay. They get to the top of the mountain. Abraham ties up his son. And his son is literally like 85 years younger than him. So there's some submission here. He ties up his son. And he pulls the knife up. And he's about to kill and sacrifice his son. When the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, stop, stop. 
And he stops and he looks and in the bushes off to the side, caught in the bushes by its, by its horns, is a ram. And Abraham unties his son and they, they take the ram and they sacrifice the ram and he says, Jehovah Jireh. That's what he names that place, which means the Lord is my provider. The Lord is my provider. See, the revealed name of God, one of his names, he has multiple names, but God revealed himself as the Lord God, our provider. See, providing is not what he does. See, if I give an allowance to my children, right, that's what I, I, that's what I do. It's, a, it's an action. God doesn't give us provision as, as an action. He gives us provision out of identity. He is literally provision. That is his name. He is provision. So he doesn't provide for us out of something that he does because he's our father. He provides because that is actually who he is. He is provision. Literally provision. So since God is provision and he is the one that that provides for me and provides for us, then we are not locked into the provision that comes from our place of employment. See, because we can become so focused on, on how much we earn, how many hours I've put in, did I make it to overtime, did I, did I, did I cross the threshold for time and a half, if I work this extra day, then I'll, now I make, I make double time, if I work on a stat holiday, it's, it's double time and a half, and we're calculating, we're so locked into the provision from our job. And when we're so locked into how, God, how, how our job can provide for us, we begin to worry about where is the next dollar coming from? Is that paycheck going to be enough? How am I going to be able to provide for my family? And we begin to worry about our finances. We begin to worry about our future. But Jesus talks about worry and worry specifically in our finances in Matthew chapter 6. He says this, I tell you, I tell you to never be worried about your life. For all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. So Jesus is, is standing, he's talking to a, a great crowd of people and he says this, and then he's, he begins to, to point at the things that are around them. He, he points at the birds, he says, do you see the birds? Like they don't, they don't have storehouses, they don't have barns to, to store up all of their food, but look, they have everything that they need. And then he, he points to the grass and the flowers and he says, do you see how beautiful these are? Not even the, not even the richest, wisest king of Israel Solomon was dressed as beautifully as these simple flowers in the grass, but they don't make any clothes. And he says, are you not much more valuable than birds and grass? then Then he says this, so then, forsake your worries. Give up your worries. Why would you say, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What will I wear? Where will I live? For this is what unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly father already know, you, th- know the things that your body needs? You need all of these things. So above all, above all, first, constantly seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Then all of these other less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow. 
but deal with each challenge that comes your, your way one day at a time and tomorrow will take care of itself. Family, Jesus has your future. You don't need to worry about it. See, the, the thing with worry, worry is a taker. Worry will take everything from you. It takes your time, it takes your peace, it takes your rest, and it gives you nothing. So refuse to worry. See, God is not only our source of provision, which is why we shouldn't worry about tomorrow, but he's also the one that enables us, enables you, enables me to create wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18 says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. Jesus is the one that gives you the ability. Jesus is the one that gives you the power and the creativity to make wealth. So, if you're not earning enough to live, then your options are really pretty limited on what you can do. You can either spend less or make more. That's it. Pretty simple options. But have you asked Jesus for creative ways to make wealth? Have you taken the time to sit down and say, God, I need to make more money. Can you give me a creative way for me to create and make wealth for myself and for my family? There are so many ways in this day and age to create wealth, to get paid. Literally, I think there's probably now in this day and age more ways than ever in all of history for you to, to make money and to create wealth. I mean, back in the day, it was either you grew something, right, with plants or animals, or you made something and sold something. That was pretty much about it, or you found something, right? Like, but now, like, now, we have more options than we did even 20 years ago. You know what a social media influencer is? Do you know that on average, a social media influencer makes $38,000 a year? That's on average. Now, obviously, you can see that the top earners make, you know, $55,000 a year, and the, the bottom ones earn $29,000 a year. Do you know what they do? They take pictures and videos, and they post them online. $29,000 a year for taking pictures and posting it online. And you just have people that follow you because you are creative and you, you, you do things. And they're like, oh, I like that. I like the way that video and, and this, and, you know, and so people just begin to follow you. And then, then what you have is you have brands that will come to you. And I'm not kidding. This is how this works. Brands will reach out to you because they see you have a following and you have influence. And they will say, can you, would you be interested in promoting our brand? And we will pay you X amount of dollars per post or we will give you free stuff, right? For, for what? For posting pictures and videos online. I mean, like, can I just be honest for a moment? I'm always honest, but. <laughs> you do this already. How many of you post pictures and videos online? You are already doing this. And so there is a way for you to get paid for what you are already doing. That's just one way. I was listening to a, a, a Sean Bowles podcast who is um, 
Sean Bowles, if you don't know him, he is a prophet. and He's got podcasts and resources and, and things like that. But I was listening to one of his podcasts recently, and he mentioned a phrase in this podcast that stuck with me. He said, live recession-proof. He went on to say that he felt God was saying, and he believed that, that God was, was, was preparing the body of Christ to thrive during uh, recessions and economic uncertainty. Why? As a sign of his goodness upon his people so that people that don't, ha- don't know Jesus, they don't have a relationship with God, can look and say, what are they doing that we're not doing? It's a sign of his goodness, a sign of his love. See, we, we live recession-proof by following biblical principles and asking the Holy Spirit how we can create wealth. Now, I know that we have a few people here in the room that have a Jewish heritage. And so in, on the, the 26th of September is Rosh Hashanah, right? I want you to watch this video. We're about to enter. Yeah, turn it up. Enter into the new nice and loud. year of 5783. And the way that you write Turn it up nice and loud. Is, hey, we're a- Even louder. About to enter into the new Hebrew year of 5783. And the way that you write 83 in Hebrew is, hey, Gimel. And hey, Gimel can be seen as an acronym, which in English means a year of great provision. This year, 5783 on the Hebrew calendar, this new Hebrew year is a year of expansion and increase and supernatural provision. And I pray that God would cause you to overflow to the fullness and the fruitfulness in your lives so that you can be blessed and continue to be a blessing to us and many others. That is, uh, his name is Rabbi Jason. And I was, I was um, in the midst of studying for this and I stumbled across that video and I was like, come on. That we felt led to begin this series on giving thanks and to talk about finances. And we are about to step into a new Hebrew year that is focused on provision and expansion. We need to access all the resources of heaven so that we can accomplish all that Jesus has for us. Us as a church and for you as an individual. Because Paul writes that, that there are, um, oh, I just, I just lost it. That God has got um, great things stored up in advance for us to do. And sometimes we miss out on the great things that God has stored up in advance for us to do because we don't have the finances to do the things that he's asked us to do because one, we've made bad decisions, right? We don't earn enough and so we can't do the things that he has for us and we miss out. I don't want us to miss out on something because we don't have the finances to do it because you don't have the finances to do it. So we unlock kingdom resources by faith by following biblical principles, and by being obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our finances. So many times Jesus has provided for Renee and I in ways that I could not have come up with on my own because I am not that smart when it comes to finances. That there were things that I didn't know were about to happen and Jesus led us into them and then when they happened, I was like, there's no way I planned for that. For example, early in our marriage... We had bought, twice, we bought brand new townhomes. Um, 
And so we, we were living in a city. We bought a brand new townhome, and we lived there about a year and a year and a half. And then we moved to another city, so we sold. When we moved to the next city, we bought another brand new townhome. We were the very first owners. We lived there about a year, and then we moved back to the other city. And so we sold. And in, in, in our heart, we, we were talking like we would love to be able to own a home, a, a freestanding house, and we'd love to be able to build it. Um, and so I moved in advance because I started, I started working and Renee and the kids, they packed up the house and they, they came after. Um, and while I was there and without them, I was going around to different builders and I was looking to see what, you know, what are the prices and things like that. And I fell in love, absolutely fell in love with this floor plan. I walked into a show home and I'm like, this is incredible. I love the layout. I'd never seen anything like it. And so I talked to the sales guy, he told me the price, and it was outside of our price range. So that was, that was off the table. And so when Renee and the kids moved to the city, I was, we were talking about our options, what are we going to do? And I said, I just, we can't afford it, but I want to take you to this, to this show home. I want to show you this floor plan because I just, I absolutely love it. And so we walk in the door. The salesman recognizes me from a couple weeks previously, and he knew that I love this floor plan. And as salesmen do, he tried to sell me on it, but it was a hard no because I knew it didn't fit my budget. And he goes, hey, you're never going to believe this. this. This floor plan just went on sale. And I said, what? This floor plan, this house that you're standing in went on sale. It's cheaper now than it was two weeks ago. And so we looked at our finances and it fit in our budget now. So we signed off on it. Everything was done, signed, signed sealed and delivered. Now we just had to wait 12 months for them to build it. So, which at, at time we live with Renee's mom. God bless my mother-in-law. She's allowed us to live with her a few times. Um, and so we waited 12 months. So it was probably about three weeks after we signed it off on everything. We walked into the, into the show home. Um, and I don't remember why we were there. Probably to, to, just to look and to dream of, oh, this, what is our house going to look like? And the salesman goes, you're not going to believe this. I just got an email this morning saying that this house and all of our houses actually are going up in price $10,000 a month with no end in sight. So the first of every month, the house goes up $10,000 month after month after month. So what's that? And we had already signed. So our price doesn't change. Without ever moving in, the house made $120,000. We didn't even move in yet. We lived in the house for about 18 months if that, it was short because then we moved to God's country, San Diego, right? So clearly we were selling that house. By the time we sold, the house price had doubled in value. People were selling their homes by spray painting for sale on a, on a piece of plywood and putting it in their front yard. That's how they were selling homes. So we sold our home by ourselves. We didn't pay for a realtor. And so we, there was none of that expenses. And so we literally doubled the value of our home by doing nothing. See, this is what I'm, what I'm saying. Like, there's no way I could have known that the housing market was about to bounce like that. And that's just one story of time after time after time that God has provided for us in unique ways to help us create wealth. The second principle is save for a rainy day. Now, you can't follow principle number two unless you have principle number one down. Because if you are not earning more than you're spending, you're not saving for a rainy day. Again, Captain Obvious, I get it. Did you realize that as of June of this year, this past June, 34, or excuse me, 32% of adults would need to borrow or sell something to pay for an unexpected expense of only $400? Many, if not most people in America, live on a razor-thin margin 
in their finances. Proverbs 22 and verse 3 says, A prudent person with insight foresees danger coming and prepares himself for it. But the senseless rush blindly forward and they suffer the consequences. It is a wise person that looks to the future and begins to prepare for what they see coming. There is no reason as followers of Jesus for us to be unprepared for the future. There's no reason. Why? Because we have God who is outside of time and knows everything living on the inside of us. So if we have the one living on the inside of us that knows everything and lives outside of time and he shares secrets with his sons and his daughters, the people that he is friends with, then why wouldn't we know about what is to come and be prepared for the future before anybody else? So there's no reason for us to be taken off guard by what is about to happen. We have access to the wisdom of heaven. The book of James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives, all, gives to all generously without reproach. And which, which means like without criticism. So he's not going to criticize you for asking for wisdom. And it says it will be given to him. So allow Jesus to speak his plans and his strategies to you and then be obedient to what he says and you will not be caught off guard or unprepared for what the future holds. Whether it's in your finances or whether it's, you know, it's in your job or whether it's in a relationship, it doesn't matter. We can be prepared. One of the most consistent prayers that I pray as your pastor, these are the two of the most consistent prayers I pray every day, literally. Jesus, give me wisdom to lead this great church that you've put me as the pastor of and reveal hidden traps and things that I can't yet see. Those are the two prayers that I pray literally every day. And you will not, you, I could not even tell you the amount of times that we have sidestepped things that was like a landmine, that if we stepped on it, it would have just caused a big mess and more problems, all because I'm just simply asking God to show me. And, just, and then it's being obedient to his voice. It's not every time where I'm like, oh, okay, I see what's happening here, and now we're going to go this way. Sometimes it's just the gentle nudging of the Holy Spirit to take, let's make this decision. Let's go this way. I'm following, I'm following the peace of God that rules my heart and my life. And then when I get over here, I'm like, whoa, I'm glad I did not step in that. Amen. See, it's asking for wisdom and then being obedient. You can know about a financial difficulty before it ever happens. And you can know about a financial opportunity of, of, to position yourself to create wealth appropriately before that thing ever happens. And again, you might not know exactly and be able to tell somebody this is what's going to happen, but you are following God. You're following his leading, even if you do not understand what you are doing. We are to wisely prepare for the future, but also not be so focused on our own finances that we lose sight of God's heart for giving. The goal is not to get all you can, to can all you get, and sit on the can. That is not the goal of life. That is not the goal of your finances. See, when we are so focused in on, on, on my finances and, and, and how, much, how much I have in the bank and what are my investments, and that's where my focus is, then I'm losing God's heart for generosity and God's heart for giving. You've noticed, and maybe you haven't noticed, so I will point it out so it's obvious, that we're talking about financial principles before we start talking about tithing and offering. Right? We need to get our finances in, in order. Yes, there's going to be times, and like we'll talk about this in other weeks, where we're... We need to step out in faith 
to give. I don't have that, but I feel like God is telling me to give this. But Jesus, this is all I have. And he says, give it anyway. And we will share stories of those times when when we've done that and other people in the family have done that and then God provides in a miraculous way. We were in the prayer room today and Fred didn't really know, Uncle Fred didn't know what we were talking about, but he shared the story of how many years ago they gave away a, a van, this beautiful van, they gave it away and his wife was like, what are we doing? We're giving away this great van. Two months later, he wins a brand new car, <laughs> right? So like, but we're, we're talking about getting your finances in, 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 like, in, in, in order first, being principled in your finances, and then we'll talk about giving. This is important. It's hard to be generous when you don't earn enough. It's hard to be gen- generous when, when you have no cushion, there's no margin for error. You haven't saved for a rainy day. Jesus does not want you to be so financially tight that there is no margin. We need to have some savings for cushion. And the last principle is debt management. When we enter into a debt arrangement, we are giving our word that we will pay back what was borrowed in the agreed upon time with the agreed upon interest. See, I put my name my reputation, my history, all that I am, and I sign and I say, yes, I will pay this back. I agree. It's my character. It's my integrity on the line. And I'm saying, I am good for this. Psalms 37 and verse 21 says this, of the ungodly, those that don't walk with God, they break their promises, borrowing money, but never paying it back. The good man returns what he owes with some extra besides. So the next time that you pay your SDG and e-bill, tip them a little bit. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> See, as followers of Jesus, we are to be people of character. We are to be people of our word. We are to be the ones that will do what we say we will do. Now, there are times in life when life happens that you signed, yes, I am good for this loan, and then you lost your job, or there was a sickness, or something happened, and now your financial situation has changed. You're not able to fulfill the commitment that was made. But here's the thing, you cannot just walk away. See, can I arrange to adjust my payment with the lender? Can I arrange to maybe just pay interest for now so that I can get my life together so I can get back up on my feet and then resume my payments? Maybe, maybe I need to return what I bought with what I borrowed so that I can make good because I'm not able to make payments, which is, which is difficult. I've done that. I've had, I've had a car repossessed and they didn't come in the, in the still of the night when I was asleep. They knocked on my door. I gave them the keys and I said, here's everything that you need. I couldn't make the payments, so I, I, I returned what I bought. See, the integrity of godly people leads them to pay back what was borrowed. On our end, we have to take on debt cautiously. Ask yourself, does the payment fit into your finances without leaving you strapped? Even though the lender might approve you, you have to make your own assessment of your finances. Take charge of your finances. I can open my bank app right now, and the, the app I bank with, with Chase, and I can open it up, and at the bottom of the app, it says that I have already been pre-approved for a $35,000 car loan. 
That's, I've, it's already, it's, it's there. I can, I can have it if I want it. I can't afford the payment on a $35,000 car loan on top of everything else that I have going on on my own. But the bank says, yes, you can. You can afford this. So I make my own decisions. I take charge of my own finances. And I look at what I have and I'm like, I cannot. And so I will not. Don't leave it up to someone else. You oversee your financial future. Take personal responsibility. See, a good rule of thumb is to save up for wants and luxuries. And you make those purchases in cash. Experience, I'll call it, experience the joy of delayed gratification and the discipline of delayed gratification. It's, in the moment, it's not, it's not either joyful at all. Well, it's just not joyful. Nobody likes delayed gratification. You see it, you want it, I want it, and I want it now. But there is a sense of satisfaction when you show some, some self-control and discipline and you save up for that thing that you want that's not a necessity and not a need. Only go into debt for things that are essential needs. And even then, consider showing restraint. Buying used. Buying a little smaller. See, it's one thing to, to purchase a house or a vehicle, something that you need but borrowing to take a trip or to buy a TV is something, these are not the same things. It's not wisdom to continuously take on financial commitments beyond our ability to make the payments. The other thing with taking on debt is that you're giving away part of your freedom. Proverbs 22.7 says, The poor are always ruled over by the rich, so don't borrow and put yourself under their power. The Passion Translation says it this way, if you borrow money with interest, you'll end up serving the interests of your creditors for the rich rule over the poor. Listen, I want every one of us to be in a place of financial freedom. I do not believe that it is God's plan for your life or for anyone's life to be a servant to your finances or to be a servant to a lender or a servant to a creditor. It is the plan of God for us to live in freedom. We, 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 most of us will know this verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He created us to live in freedom. Adam and Eve in the garden in the beginning were free. They gave their freedom away when they disobeyed God. When you take on debt, you are giving part of your freedom away. Everyone wants to be reasonably healthy, happy, and prosperous in life everyone. Some people will have more wealth than others. Sometimes it's because of the purpose of God on their life. It's the calling of God on their life, and they need a greater level of finances to accomplish the things that God has for them in life. What we don't do, we don't ever do, is we don't ever look across the aisle and compare ourselves to that person over there. How much money do they have? Looks like they've got a lot. I think I need to earn more. Why do they have more money than I have, right? We don't compare, right? We, we, just, we just understand God's purpose and plan for your life, and then you walk that out. But no one, no one is destined by God to live in lack or poverty. I don't see it anywhere in Scripture where that is God's plan for someone's life. We must do our part, though, because sometimes we put our own selves in a position of poverty because we did not manage our finances well. And we cannot blame God for our bad decisions. Take ownership of your finances so that your finances do not own you. 
That day that I walked forward to give my life to Jesus in that stadium, I had not managed my finances well. I couldn't make payments on things that I purchased on my credit card. As I mentioned, I ended up having a car repossessed because I couldn't make those payments. My debts were sent to creditors who would call me constantly at the most unholy hours of the morning. Like I'm 21, 22 years old, six o'clock in the morning, in my mind, the father is still asleep. Like nobody's awake. Who gets up that early? Now as an adult, I get up that early every day. But that's, listen, on a Saturday morning at 6 a.m., if you've, if you've ever had something go to collections, man, that is when they call. They are calling. The phone would wake me up and you're having this unpleasant conversation. I felt the weight of debt and my financial decisions on my chest at all times. It was just weighed on me consistently and constantly. So I followed these principles and others that we'll get to. I worked hard. I made what payments I could and I asked Jesus to help me. I cried out to him to transform my finances. And I have story after story experiencing supernatural and unexplainable debt, like divine debt cancellation and provision along the way as Jesus corrected me, as he disciplined me, and as he taught me how to manage my own finances until I was out of debt. So it didn't happen instantly. It wasn't like, and I was out of debt. It happened over time. But I followed these principles. I earned more than I spent. I saved for a rainy day and I managed my debt. And I invited Jesus into my finances. And he taught me about giving. And my finances have been transformed. You can't change your destination overnight but you can change your direction with one decision. Amen. So invite Jesus into your finances. So this morning, if you want to invite Jesus into your finances, regardless of how good or how bad or where you are in between good and bad in your finances, in your own assessment, if you want to invite Jesus into your finances, then I just want you to lift your hand. And say, Jesus, I'm inviting. This is, this is a, a, just a sign. Or it's a response sign. It's an activation. Actually, I want you to lift both your hands. It's just, that's just a sign of surrender. When we give up, Amen. Jesus, you see our hands are raised. We're inviting you into our finances. Amen. Come on. We also, and I just felt to, to release over you, um, inventions and ingenuity. See, I believe you can have a seat for just one moment. I'm going to take another 45 seconds. I know I've been a little long today. I apologize. I believe that, see, I, I believe that God calls his children to be prosperous. But I also believe that this is what prosperity looks like according to the Bible. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. That this is what he has for every one of his sons and daughters. It says, God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That is biblical prosperity. It's not how big of a house you have or how big of a car you drive or all that stuff. It's are all your needs met and do you have plenty left over that you can be generous with? That's biblical prosperity. And it's not measured by your vacations or your rides. It's just are your needs met and do you have plenty left over to be generous with? That's being biblically prosperous and we can get there when we are principled in our finances.